Welcome to the Photography Opinion Podcast. We discuss all things photo, video, and camera related. I'm Ben Lucas. And I'm Stuart Marlantis. And this is PhotoLog. Go. We're at zero. Okay. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, <clears throat> I think I'll just start this one off a little more conversationally. Okay. Why not? It's going to be a short episode. We can we can chit-chat a little more. Okay. Dum, bum. Welcome to the podcast. Bum, ba, dum, ba, dum, bum, bum, bum. <laughs> hey, Stuart. How's it going? Hey, Ben. It's going well. Uh, I, I know we've all been, all been stuck together. What have you been doing to pass the time? Um, I've been playing around with macro recently, actually. Just, uh, nothing very exciting. Shooting some flowers in my yard, but, uh, I haven't shot macro for a while, so just kind of playing around. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I, I, uh, I actually just got a new camera, uh, that I've been playing around with. I'm a Canon shooter, but I just got a Panasonic so that I can shoot in 4K. So that's been oh, exciting man. for me. There will be, the there will be some new to cool... 4K video. <laughs> cool new content coming out on the YouTube channel, which, of course, if you're listening to this in podcast form, you can also watch our faces on YouTube at Nom Creative. But uh, today we have a very special episode. So our last episode, we did a lightning round Q&A of all of those beautiful questions you guys uh, sent us. Um, so, yeah, we got a question today that we thought warranted its own episode. So uh, today, Stuart, what is our question? So uh, Nathan wrote in and asked, Hello, Ben and Stuart. Being stuck at home, I've started playing with amateur astrophotography, which requires stacking a lot of short exposures of the sky to bring out the details invisible to the naked eye. Along the way of learning tricks to make this easier, I've stumbled across focus stacking for photography, which applies to anything from macro to landscape. The question I have for you is, is this trick worth studying? Or more generally, what trends or disciplines of photography should an amateur photographer pay attention to? And what are just flashes in the pan? Ooh, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, so so this episode, I think we're, we're, we're talking, is this a fad or a feature? Um, and we'll definitely go through some other different things that are, are fads and kind of how to turn them in, into features. Um, I think that generally any tool or discipline is a fad if you use it too much or in the wrong way. Agreed. Um I think all of these things uh, were created and designed with a purpose and used correctly. They are features used incorrectly or overused. They're fads. Or used without thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like there's, there's purpose. So uh, the uh, we, we put together a list here of fad or feature. And all of these, I think, are fads unless you can figure out the correct application or tone down use to turn them into a feature. Agreed. Um, so the first one is HDR. You can just well, the uh, first one is focus find stacking. many subreddits. Oh, focus stacking. Yeah, that's right. Well, his Speaking question, focus stacking. Nathan. The first one we wrote was HDR. Because that's the first one that comes to mind of what is the most overused, mm-hmm, atrocious-looking mm-hmm. fad um, that can be used correctly. Um, yeah, focus stacking. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> focus stacking. Uh, I don't think focus stacking is a trend personally. I mean, it's hard to make something that's, you know, you're just adding focus to your image. So 
from my perspective, it's hard to make that a trend. Like, oh, my images are entirely in focus. Like, <laughs> I I, th- I think the trend uh, are things that people notice and can put into a group. If you mm-hmm. uh, did a bunch of focus stacking, no one's gonna look at your macro or your landscape and be like, "Ooh, I bet he focus stacked." Yeah. Um. The, so it's kind of like, uh, in a movie, um the editors and the sound and stuff all of those people are invisible Mm because when it's done correctly you don't notice and when it's done incorrectly you're like oh that was that was bad audio bad music or bad vfx Mm -hmm. but when it's good vfx you're just enjoying the movie and you're engrossed in it and i think that's kind of the same thing with the fatter feature of like focus stacking isn't a fad because people won't notice if it's done well it's just a thing that you did to create this photo and to specifically answer your question yes it i think is it is 100 percent worth studying as you stated it is widely applicable to all sorts of different photos uh, uh and styles that you might be working in um and uh it's it's a very powerful one a very yeah, powerful um, tool to hand have in your kit so you mentioned that uh, macro, you mentioned landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last Q&A lightning round episode, uh, there was someone who had a focus stacking question on countertops. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there, there's so many reasons you could do focus stacking. Um, I actually just shot a bunch of uh, sample albums for my wedding website uh, to just show off the new albums. And I was shooting wide open so I can get some really close detail. But then I did some focus stacking so that I could get... Um, I wanted to shoot wide open, but I wanted to selectively show parts of the cover more in focus. So I did focus stacking so that I could get those and kind of layer them together in Photoshop. So yeah, a huge wide range of things you can use that technique for. Um, But I think your end question of more generally what trends or disciplines um, should you pay attention to and what are just fads? Uh, We got a whole list of things that we're going to go through here that uh, I think are... that I think are interesting discussion topics. Starting with HDR. <laughs> Starting with HDR. Yeah. Exposure stacking, kind of. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just like instead of instead of uh, focus stacking, yeah, it's exposure stacking. HDR, uh, or for those of you who are not in the know, it is high dynamic range, and all this means is that you take a very dark exposure, and then kind of a dark gray exposure, and then a light-ish gray exposure and then a light or gray exposure and then a bright exposure Mm -hmm. so that you've got the whole range of of tonal values or dynamic range in your photo and then you stack them together like this photo behind me on the tv here uh you stack them together so that you have this beautiful uh landscape is generally where it's used Mm -hmm. but all we have all those tonal values put together so uh yeah, where i know there are some subreddits there there have got to be subreddits of bad hdr stewart Oh, yes. Uh, there's a subreddit, and uh, excuse the language, but this is the actual name of the subreddit, uh, Shitty HDR. Um, that is, uh, if you're looking to uh, cringe at HDR or learn what you should not do in HDR, that is yep. a good subreddit to check out. So that's where you can see, to see the example of, this is bad, this mm-hmm. is the trend. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when all of us uh, start out in photography, there's the HDR hump. Where we start doing HDR, and we think it's so cool and amazing, and Mm -hmm. we make these disgusting monstrosities uh, before we learn how to use it properly. So, so used properly. So, when I shoot HDR, um, you can definitely use a plugin. That's not bad. Dragging every single slider to its maximum value, that's probably bad. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but uh but yeah hdr to me gets you 90 percent of the way there of now i have a clean canvas with the entire range of tonal values that i can finesse and finish my photo i don't just slap hdr on it and then post it yeah hdr should really from my perspective be used to um overcome limitations in your camera it allows you to have in one image you know shadows and highlights all exposed correctly and the camera in one exposure would not have been able to do that so um it it gets you it also gets you in a way closer to how things look in reality um human eyes you know have a much much wider range um of exposures so to speak when we look at something and cameras are still not quite there so hdr can kind of give you that um you know very very ultra realistic lighting um that you remember seeing when you were looking at the scene right um and something that uh I also think there's no one correct HDR. So just like if I'm processing a raw file, um, same way if I'm processing like a bunch of raw files stacked together that are bracketed for HDR. Mm -hmm. um, So if you're looking at this photo behind me here, I guarantee you at some point in the HDR stack, there was, uh, if I can get my fingers to, there we go, uh, right here there's going to be a halo on where the sky and the mountain meet. So I've got one exposure that makes the mountain and the detail and all that look good. And then there's going to be this thick, gross halo. And I've got another exposure or uh, a stacked range or whatever that makes the sky look good. And then I blend those together. So I don't have this gross halo in between of like the cameras trying to figure out, Oh, I need to have a really good contrast and clarity and everything there. And it does that by just pushing the contrast to the extreme and that's where you get the gross white halo when you have a dark edge i yep. don't want that so i kind of bring it back and i blend it together and usually i'm doing the hdr and blending it into a middle exposure just to get all of those extra just like you were saying all the extra stuff that your camera can't do on its own um it can look vibrant it can look larger than life there is something to be said for those very tastefully done surreal looking photos mm-hmm. but when it's just a bunch of gross artifacting because people dra- drag the sliders to max and they don't know what they're doing that is the, the fad and the cringe yeah as with many tools learn how to use it correctly before you break the rules <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely so so I, th- I think you you listeners at home are kind of getting the idea of um hey if you learn how to use this feature correctly mm-hmm. uh it's not a fad it's yep. it's a tool at your disposal that you can use to to maximize the enjoyment or the viewing of your photo but used poorly it just ugh. yeah <laughs> very much so uh yeah the next one we have is vintage filters so pretty much anything on instagram right <laughs> yeah <laughs> or a lot of stuff for sure any of the built-in filters on Instagram, anyway, mm-hmm. like all the the sepia whatevers, um, overused. They're they're real bad. If you want to add just like a little bit of vintage flair to your photo, like maybe put a filter on it and bring it down to like five or ten percent. Like mm-hmm. that just helps kind of like tone it, and you can add some of those warm golds, brown tones to it. Um, I sometimes like doing that to black and white photos, so I'll still print a black and white photo in color, but just adding a little bit of that gold brown just kind of gives it a warm gray feeling instead, so it makes it feel classic and vintage while still looking black and white, even though it clearly is not pure black and white. I'm printing in color so you can get those warm tones to it. Um, 
yeah, some, something else kind of along the veins of that vintage that really bugs me is that crushed black film look where just everything yeah. is, like, lost in that lower tonal value, but it's all crushed to, like, a dark gray. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, when we say crushed blacks, if you haven't seen something like this, although you've probably had, it's it's you take all of your shadows and you basically make them a featureless dark gray blob instead of having actual details yeah so so uh, So you can test this on a photo in photoshop yeah grab uh put on like a levels adjustment and grab uh i don't know if it's the input or the output slider but grab Mm -hmm. one of those sliders and just bring it up until everything in your dark shadow area i think it's the output slider Mm -hmm. drag it all until it's just black there's no detail at all Mm -hmm. and then click save and then do another one and drag the other one and bring that up so all those blacks are now a muddy dark gray that is what we were talking about, about the crushed blacks. And to me, that just looks gross. Um, yeah, people are I'm trying sure to replicate that there's cheap some... film, basically. I was going to say, that. I'm sure there's a film stock that they're emulating. Yeah. But to me, it looks bad. Yeah, I'm. I'm. that's a big fad. I'm not... Unless you are setting out to shoot a photo that looks out of time, that looks, you know truly like the film stock that you're trying to emulate in which case you know fair enough crush your blacks appropriately i don't really see how this one isn't a fad you know 99 of the time i hardly yeah. ever see crushed blacks that i think is a feature and that i think is appropriate and that added to the image um uh, going yeah. along with that fake film grain yeah like shoot real film if mm-hmm. you want to be a hipster about it but <laughs> like <laughs> Um, I, I know, uh, I think it's Mastin Labs has mm-hmm. some really good film packs where, like, he actually just scanned old film so that you have that actual grain. Yeah. Um, but, but I just don't like that look, like, of the heavy grain. Um, I use it occasionally when I'm shooting boudoir. Um, uh, I think there's, like, a Kodak one and a Fuji one that I really like applying that just gives a little bit of a subtle, warm glow to and kind of just makes it feel more ethereal, but it's not something that I slap on every single photo. Um, definitely not. Uh, another thing, um, in that is, uh, adding really heavy vignetting. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, people think that it looks really cool, dark and moody to add a heavy black vignette. Uh, but then they do it wrong where they shot, um, a couple in like white pastel clothing for like an Easter shoot and it's a bright sunny day and their sky is completely blown out to white. And then they add a completely dark (laughs) vignette. And I'm like, why? It makes absolutely no sense. Plus also your vignette would be darker. So it would in that case, the sky would be blue instead of white mm-hmm. and not mm-hmm. black. Like, it's clearly fake and added in Photoshop, and it just looks bad. Yeah. Um, when when, so, when vignetting the, is added in post becomes a feature is when you don't really notice it. Like, it really adds to the composition. If you, yes. if you notice so, the vignetting immediately when you look at a photo, it's probably not a feature. It's probably so when you, look at, <laughs> when you look at a photo, your eye is first and foremost uh, going to look at whatever the place of highest contrast is. Mm-hmm. So you add that vignetting kind of selectively to, add, to push the viewer's eye to the subject or to the center mm-hmm. of the photo. Mm-hmm. That is what vignetting is for. But when you just add it fake, then it's a fad and it looks yep. bad. Uh, I think the flip side of that is there's also white vignetting to get you, like, the Vaseline look. 
Yeah, a, a similar story there. <laughs> of, of again, is trying to get you to look at the the feature in the middle, but um, if your vignetting you... becomes the feature, then it's not. Yeah, no, it's not what you should. Um, uh, another thing that I've seen a ton in this like vintage thing is uh, Glamour Glow, which is yeah. a, a Nick plugin. It, but I'm sure every software has its own version of it. Of just it, it looks like everyone is glowing and radiating. And if if you just Google what is it like '80s glamour yeah, headshot, 80s. like that's what we're talking about. <laughs> if that's what you're going for, great. Otherwise, uh, I'd reconsider. Yeah, like Maybe like the thing is, is like is the, coming the, back the, enough now. <laughs> the glamour glow thing is the very specific kind of throwback thing and the thing is like i also think that uh with any of these filters if you throw it on at 100 percent, i kind of think it looks terrible mm-hmm. with any filter like turning it from a fad to a feature just like drag it down to like 10 percent opacity yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just just make it subtle because it's otherwise it's probably gonna look worse than you intend mm-hmm. um yeah so, something else that i've seen a lot of photographers do is adding fake gritty textures whether it's like concrete or metal or just to like make a photo look like like i've seen like coffee stain like paper i don't know i don't know what's happening (laughs) yeah the the only time that i would think you'd use that is if it's if it's uh not like a standalone piece of art like if you're using it as part of like an like some sort of animated graphic in a video or in some sort of film production like as a prop or something you know fair enough but if if it's the photo and then you mar the photo with a coffee stain. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, I'm not sure that why I've you would seen, do that. <laughs> so something that I've seen that uh, is actually a really good version of this mm-hmm. is um, uh, Glenn Dewis actually uh, has a texture pack. And so he shoots these kind of classic Renaissance looking um, things, uh, uh, portraits, on on a very blank background Mm -hmm. so it could be a dark blue or dark gray or whatever but then what he does is he adds the texture to the photo and he masks it out so the texture looks like it is the background so now it looks like he has this really cool intricate concrete background or this really cool muslin texture that when he just shot it on black but he's not putting it over the person's face just like a flat overlay which is what all the wedding photographers i see do yeah that almost almost becomes compositing more than it is a filter you know at the end of the day of Um, like it's still the same technique yeah but he used it appropriately to turn a plain gross background into this cool muslin texture something interesting um yeah I've also seen people do it to get, uh, they add like a canvas texture, but then they, when they print on paper and their clients, so it looks like a fake canvas. Mm -hmm. Just print on canvas. That's that's (laughs) fine if your client wants that look. I don't even like the look of canvas though. I I, I sell like one a year, maybe. I have Mm -hmm. a canvas sample, but then people see that and the metal and the acrylics and they almost always go for metal or acrylics. So Um, what, what else we got on here? Oh boy, um, spot color is a big one, or or selective color, depending Ooh. on how you refer to it. Just because IKEA does it doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. I love IKEA, but yeah. no, please stop. So what we're referring to is when you have a photo and there's just one thing that's in color, like everything else is black and the white. The red balloon. And one thing is in color, often reds, um, to give this. It's it's kind of almost like vignetting in a way where you're you're bringing attention to one thing because it's the only thing that's in color. Uh, it so rarely looks good. Um, I mean, 
you can do it well, right? Like Schindler's List, a great example of doing <laughs> selective or spot color. That well, is not the but, first one I would have thought of, but yeah. <laughs> but if you're not, yeah, if you're not making Schindler's List, you should probably avoid it. <laughs> yeah. So the thing here's the thing with spot color. I use spot color as a demonstration mm-hmm. of how masking works in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. So, um, so making the whole photo black and white and punching a hole through the mask so that you can see that red balloon, it helps people's brains click. This is how that tool works. And then I immediately follow it up with, and please never do this again. Um, so, so I use that of like, Hey, you want to learn how this mask works? This is how the mask works. But the other thing too, is like, if, if I'm wearing a shirt right now that's got a blue shirt with a green bubble, well, if I want to turn this green bubble into a red bubble, but I want to change nothing else, like I just want to shift that one color, then I would use that sel- selective spot color technique to shift this red to, or this green to the red. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you would just see me wearing a blue shirt with a red logo on it you wouldn't you wouldn't see yeah. you wouldn't you wouldn't immediately think ah they spot colored it so i think that's also the thing of like going back to like the movies we only notice the technique when it's done badly mm-hmm. well i mean except in the case of schindler's list where he wanted you to notice it for a very intentional story and artistic reason <laughs> yes again learn the rules so that you can break them on your own accord and exactly. not just break them if it legitimately tells a story it. and it's not just like oh look i i can apply a filter then you know great but otherwise it's true it's true <laughs> um something else uh, another another pet peeve on my list is a skin softening mm-hmm. so uh in the last episode um, the very last question of our question and answer episode is what are your favorite plugins? And one of my favorite plugins is uh, Portraiture by ImageNomic. And that is a skin softening plugin because it looks really good and saves a ton of time. But here, in that plugin, they have a bunch of sliders so you can customize everything. But they have four or five default presets. Mm-hmm. If you go anywhere higher than like the bottom three, then you get into that plastic Barbie doll look. And a lot of people think, oh, they have completely smooth skin. It looks fantastic. Just just because someone has rough skin or acne or something doesn't mean that they should look plastic. Like, you want to see pores. You mm-hmm. want this person to look like a real person. Please learn other retouching techniques rather than just completely blowing out the skin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, do you want them to look like a robot with silicone skin? Um, okay. Um, sure. <laughs> I did do a retouching project for a commercial client once where we, they specifically wanted the models to look like silver androids. Yeah. Fair enough. But that is literally like the only time. <laughs> um, the, the, the other thing that kind of goes in line with that is, um, when people think that overexposing a photo, uh, because it blows out all the skin texture. So people just turn mm-hmm. into white translucent ghosts they're like ah they have no skin texture they look like porcelain dolls they look gorgeous no no they look overexposed and it Mm -hmm. looks bad Mm -hmm. what else have we got here we got we still got many to discuss oh we have so many more to go through uh uh, well i mean speaking of portraits right uh taking portraits of people uh with with plastic skin or avoiding plastic skin um fake portrait modes uh especially with iphones and other and other smartphones Uh, uh they have these portrait modes where it tries to figure out what's the person what's the background and applies uh bokeh um artificially 
so so if you're watching us on YouTube and not uh, podcast form, Stuart ha- threw a sound sheet up behind him. So he's yes. just in front of a black background. I am in my living room, and there is a bunch of junk everywhere. There's like a cardboard box down there and a bunch of other stuff so there's a bunch of junk here Mm -hmm. so if you're trying to do like a web meeting and blur out all of the junk behind you or if you're just doing like a selfie or whatever none of that bothers me Mm -hmm. but when when you're doing a like real photo that is that is more than a a facebook selfie or like it's supposed to be art and Mm -hmm. you use the fake mode the first thing i see is all of the halos are artifacting or the part under your arm where it missed and it's all in focus um and i see the feature rather than the photo so i think that also throws back into just like it doesn't look real it doesn't look good because it's not actually a lens that has depth of field it's adding it in an algorithm later granted these are getting increasingly good i've seen some pretty pretty nice looking ones and as phones are adding some telephoto lenses you're getting it where they can optically give you a little bit of bokeh Um, they're also adding some like uh some depth filters so that they're getting a little bit better about reading so it's what is foreground what's background but yeah it's getting better definitely it's yeah it's getting it's getting better but i think it also just falls into like if it's clearly a fake added after the thing now i'm looking at that instead of your photo anything that detracts from your subject and detracts from the feeling of your photo i think it's bad exactly um adding on to that something else i've seen is people adding fake bokeh i get facebook ads for this all day long um and it's they're like overlay packs where if your photo did not have any bokeh you Mm -hmm. can add some and Again, for those of you who don't know, Boca are those little twinkly lights that are in the background when something's completely out of focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even think people who are not photographers know what Boca is. They don't even <laughs> notice. It, that, they just see that as it's out of focus. Yeah. Yeah. But photographers yeah. love obsessing over Boca and obsessing over the shape of Boca and the you know appearance of Boca. Uh, it's a big thing, but it's pretty exclusive to just. I think the other thing too is like when you're adding fake bokeh to a real photo, um, like your bokeh in your camera is not going to match the bokeh overlay that you put on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen it where it's not masked to- correctly. I'm like, that's not even how that would work. Yeah, like part of this is over the person's face, but you also have the same shape and size bokeh behind them. That makes no sense. Yeah. Um, but again, that's just. A photographer judging photographers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, yeah. What What else we got? Uh, well, I mentioned a film earlier. Um, uh, Schindler's List. Uh, there's a a big trend in uh, Hollywood color grading where you make your Current highlights films. orange and your yeah. shadows teal tinged. Um, I'm seeing that more and more in photos. So so the reason for this is color theory, yeah. right? So so good color theory states that you should put things on opposite sides of the spectrum together and then it looks aesthetically pleasing. So mm-hmm. if you pull up a color wheel, blue and orange are on those opposite sides, mm-hmm. uh, but now we're getting that cyan and orange look everywhere um i've even seen a joke online of um i think it was i think it was something like taken and aladdin and like phoenix 
mm-hmm. uh, Dark Phoenix. They all have like the same colors in the movie poster or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I didn't know these were in the same story. <laughs> and and you're going to hate us for listening to this episode now because now you will notice orange and teal everywhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. You will never be able... Go ahead and Google orange teal movie poster and you will never be able to unsee it. Yep. <laughs> So, um, I, so yeah, as, and... as as with uh, as with the previous <laughs> mention of spot color, uh, if orange and teal is critical to telling the story of your image, okay. Although I would be very suspicious about that, even more suspicious than spot color. Um, but be very very considerate about the uh, the hues that you're making your your shadows and your highlights. Yeah, I I think another kind of thing to that is, like, some of the vintage films, uh, they have very cool shadows Mm -hmm. in that vintage. So it it adds a little bit of that. But again, apply your adjustment, and now take it down to 10%. That'll probably make it look better. Definitely. (laughs) Um, What else we got? Drone photography. So I own a drone. So do I. You fly drones. (laughs) We, We are no strangers to drones. They're a great tool. They are a good tool. Um, I think drone photography is a fad when you notice the person is taking a drone photo mm-hmm. more than it being a good photo. So something else that I, I've seen, and this is diverting from the subject a little bit, but like if you do a family portrait session, you can take horrible portraits and that family will love it because their baby is in it mm-hmm. and any photo of their baby is a good photo. Um, it's the same thing with, if you shoot pets, uh, it's, and, but the thing is like, you are going to love it because of that, mm-hmm. not because it's a good photo. Yeah. So like, if you walk into an, and it's yeah, if you walk you into an art before. museum, yeah, if you walk into an art museum and say, this is a Vermeer, mm-hmm. doesn't mean Vermeer was made excellent paintings every single time his entire life. I'm sure he did garbage paintings. Those just aren't hanging in museums. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Take lots of bad drone photos, but don't post them anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, th- I think they need people... to be composed just like any other photo. They yeah. Need to have so a I subject. think people they need post to have a, a drone them. photo and people are like, Ooh, drone photo, not realizing there's nothing good about this photo. Mm-hmm. It's just the fact that it was taken by a drone and normal people generally don't do drone photos. So yeah, it's it still it still needs a subject. It still needs composition. It still needs to look good. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think the best drone photos I've ever seen uh, have been really amazing, incredible photos where I go, "Wow, that's a fantastic photo." And it the second thought maybe is, "Oh, that's that's a drone photo. That's cool." Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. your first thought is, "Oh, that's a drone photo," then it's probably a bad photo. Yeah. Um, Ahmed, we could just go on all day on this, but I think you guys are all all getting the point on this. Um, there's definitely one one last one that we wanted to bring up, and <laughs> yeah. I know you're a fan favorite of this. Uh, anything that's on Insta repeat, you should not do. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you guys aren't familiar, go on to Instagram, look up Insta repeat. Uh, it's amazing. It's I an, love it. It's an account that basically compiles all of the v- nearly identical looking photos that people put up on instagram um so whether that's like the girlfriend leading the boyfriend or or husband by the hand in front of them or uh pictures of your legs sticking out of your legs out of a tent um yeah a, a small person a person very small kind of in the in the distant foreground in front of a landscape a waterfall a cliff or something 
all of those kind of things. Um, Picture is, of you taking a photo on your iPhone of some landscape. Why exactly. is that a thing? Uh, oh. yeah. <laughs> cool. You have an iPhone. Great. Um, yeah. So any th- scroll through Insta repeat and uh, don't do anything you see on that account. Is yeah. basically what we're saying. Yeah. I, that being said, I'm not saying uh, don't take photos of of cool, interesting places um, just because other people have taken photos of them. Like, no problem. Like, I've taken photos of Multnomah Falls, which you'll see all over Instagram. That's uh, a pr- particularly uh, famous and pretty waterfall in northern Oregon. Uh, Multnomah Falls is really cool, and I've done, like, really fun vertical panoramas of that. Uh, people take tons of pictures of Multnomah Falls, and you'll see that show up on places like Insta Repeat. Um, don't let that, like you know crush your dreams of taking a good picture of Multnomah Falls or any other place like that uh but that being said don't be compositionally identical to everybody else just because it's popular on Instagram uh really develop your own style you can still take the same uh pictures or or similar pictures of the same big cool landmarks or views um but really try to apply your own style and your own composition to it and make make the photo your own not Instagram's Absolutely. And and again, for anyone watching this on YouTube, the photo on the TV behind me, um, this is a perfect example. So this is uh, Kirk Jafel in Iceland. And so uh, when you are standing in front of the waterfall there, um, several miles in the distance, even though it looks right next to it, there is a huge mountain off to your right. So there's a big mountain there. Um, so what people do is they go up and they shoot across the waterfall looking at the mountain. And if you Google Kirk Jafel, Iceland, this is literally the only photo you see over and over and over and over with the waterfall in the foreground and the mountain in the background. Mm-hmm. If you want to take that postcard photo for yourself, no one's stopping you. Take the postcard photo. Great. We love it. But then don't post it and expect everyone to be impressed because... They've seen it a hundred times and your photo is going to look identical to everyone else's. So I think part of that too is like flex your creativity. What mm-hmm. can you take at this postcard scenic location that's already been photographed millions of times that looks different, that looks interesting. Mm-hmm. So I swung around and I didn't even include the mountain in the, that I was at that everyone goes to photograph in my photo. So I found something that was compositionally interesting and different that people don't see. Did I still take that one? Yeah, I absolutely did. Um, and on YouTube, I have a video where I'm talking about this product, Base Lamp. That's actually the only place you can see that photo because I've never posted it online before because it looks functionally identical to everyone else's. So take the photo, but <laughs> don't expect to be take the, the photo, but. <laughs> But find something, I bet, yeah, flex your photography muscles. See see if there's something more interesting you can do with it. Take the photo and then take a different photo, one that that you haven't seen before in that famous location. Absolutely. So, yeah, uh, Nathan, thank you so much for the question. This this was a a fun little exercise. Um, I I think the conclusion is really, um, you know, if it looks like the feature if when people look at your photo and they see the feature before they say what a cool photo then you applied it way too heavily way too prevalent and it's wrong so to speak it's fad yeah (laughs) fad or feature they're one in the same it depends on the application is uh my perspective on that um with maybe a few notable exceptions <laughs> but learn all of the fads and all of the features so that you can uh you can put your own spin on them and you can apply them appropriately and you can avoid falling into those uh 
pits that we've described. Absolutely. And and I will absolutely say when I was learning, I did the bad HDRs. Me too. I did the glamour glows. Tons of I them. did the heavy vignetting. <laughs> all of it. Now, currently, I do HDR. I crush uh, I don't crush black so much, but like I will add a little bit of that contrast if that detail isn't interesting. Mm-hmm. I will add textures on top, but usually my textures are like I was mentioning with the Glenn Dewis thing for like backgrounds. Um, you know, I use plugins for skin retouching. Just make sure you can see all their pores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so learn all of these fads, learn all and figure out how to make them techniques and features. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, uh, yeah, thank you so much for the question. This was, I think, a fun episode to rant about. <laughs> definitely. And if you, have, uh, if you have questions for us as well, you should definitely reach out. Our email address is hello at photo-op.show. Uh, send it in. Maybe we'll do a full episode like this. Or at the very least, we would love to include you in a Q&A special episode like we did uh, just last episode. So if you haven't heard that, um, check in our backlog and check that out. Um, thanks so much for sending in your question, Nathan, and thanks so much for listening and watching. (laughs) 